Hey everybody, welcome to the New Market Alliance Church podcast, where you're invited to not just attend church or watch church, or in this case, listen to church, but actually go and be the church. For everything you need to know about our community, be sure to go to newmarketalliance.ca and maybe even drop us a line to let us know you're listening. We read everything you send and we'll be sure to get back to you. Our worship service happens every Sunday at 10 a.m. in person or streaming online. We want you to know you absolutely matter to God and you absolutely matter to us. Everyone is welcome and wanted. Now, let's join today's teaching. Can I tell you just a story as you find your seats? There was a, uh, a little British boy, not Toby, <laughs> not John Asbury. This was a boy who was, who was born to quite um, distinguished parents. Parents actually who left him to fend for himself so he could devote or so they could devote their time to their own pursuits. His father was obsessed with his own career, albeit a failed career as a member of of parliament, to pay the boy any notice. And his uh, charismatic American mother turned seduction of the rich and powerful men of England into sort of a profitable endeavor. She had diamonds on her neck and she had diamonds on her fingers, but. she never noticed that her own son often didn't have shoes to wear. And this boy's parents sent him away to the second-rate boarding school where semester after semester he was near the bottom of the class and he pled with his folks to, to come visit the way that the other boy's parents did, but they never came. And his father would write these cruel letters every now and then to complain about how ashamed he was that he was stuck with such a dolt of a son. And even at Christmas, when, when he was forced to leave school for the holidays, uh, he'd often get home to find a note that said, we've gone to the continent for the holidays, nanny will look after you. And he actually had a nanny who tried to make up for the lack of loving by being extra loving, but of course it's, it, it's not the same. How could it be? And this boy grew up believing that he wasn't worth loving and he'd have to earn love through great achievements. He, he had to escape the shame by doing superior things to prove his worth, and he did. He did, he launched himself into a historical career And uh, his name was Winston Churchill. And it's been said that he made a career of trying to escape his shame. Churchill obviously was a great leader, accomplished great things for his country, but man, my heart breaks behind the scenes. In, In his heart of hearts, Churchill couldn't be at peace with who he was. He couldn't find joy in his identity. Couldn't just be enough for his parents or for himself. You know, for every Churchill out there who you could say outwardly at least um, succeeded in spite of his shame, there's, there's stories of a, 
Jeffrey Dahmer, uh, Ted Bundy, uh, uh, an Adolf Hitler. Every monster was once a disowned child, uh, abused, abandoned, or in some other cruel way made to feel unworthy and unwanted. You know, many shame-based people uh, tend to escape their shame in evils of lesser magnitude, addiction, lashing out at others, on and on. But, but they all do shameful things to escape their shame. And, and people, uh, uh, it, it raises the question, are, are, are people ashamed because they do bad things or do people do bad things because they're ashamed? Or sometimes, as we've talked about, shamed people escape their shame by trying to do good things, you know, good things to the point of being a Pharisee, good things in an effort to prove you're not a shameful person. Some of you this morning may be living in the law of shame, and it's, it's a law that can be as powerful as the law of gravity. And the law of shame is something like this. The shame of the father, the shame of the mother is visited upon the sons and the daughters unto the third, even fourth generation. That's a little paraphrase of an Old Testament verse. It, it can show up in the self-righteous who protect their own demons or other people so they can condemn them for the very things that they hate in themselves. I see it sometimes in celebrities or pastors who act out their shame in such a way that is almost certainly to get them caught, unconsciously you know, wanting to blow up their life. Um, now and then a person is so ashamed that he or she becomes another person to escape their shame. I'm not an expert in this, I don't claim to be, uh, but there's this trauma, this, this dissociative identity disorder where their only escape from their shame is to escape into another identity within them that is actually ignorant of their shameful self. And maybe the simplest way people escape from shame is just to deny that it exists. That is, they deny whatever it is that, that makes them ashamed. Men, I've noticed, are, are often good deniers, you know, uh, compartmentalizing, denying lots of emotions, actually. Not just men, though. It, it, it happens in families that almost um, conspire to keep a terrible secret from themselves. Uh, for example, you know, a mother knows that her husband is abusing her daughter, but she chooses not to know. People invent all kinds of ways to escape their shame. Spoiler alert, none of them work. They only push the shame out the front door of their psyche just to let it in again through some open window. The better way to deal with shame is not to escape it, not to medicate it, but to heal it. And uh, not that we have the power in ourselves to, to heal it, but I think we have a role in, in the healing of our shame. Now, this is not gonna come as a shocker uh, coming from a pastor, but I believe 
the healing of our shame begins best with a spiritual experience, uh, or to be more specific, a spiritual experience of grace. Uh, I suppose, you know, we could recite mantras, self-esteem slogans uh, every hour, you know. Anybody remember Stuart Smalley from Saturday Night Live? I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, doggone it, people like me. But I've found that even if my brain tells my feelings that I'm a terrific human being, my feelings aren't listening. Shame is usually too heavy to be fixed by some sort of pep talk or, or, or self-hypnosis. We need this radical approach that gets to the deeper issues of shame. Um, what's the deeper issue of shame? Well, it's usually a deep fear of not being accepted. It's a fear of rejection. So the experience of being accepted is the beginning of healing for that feeling of being so unacceptable. Being accepted, I would argue, might be the single most compelling need of our souls. And it comes back to this amazing word. How sweet the sound. Grace. Grace. It's the beginning of our healing because it offers the one thing that we need most, to be accepted without regard whether we're acceptable. Uh, listen to what First Peter says. This is from the message translation. But you, he's talking about you, you, church, are a chosen by God. You're chosen for the high calling of priestly work. You're chosen to be a holy people, God's instruments to do his work and speak out for him, to tell others of the night and day difference he made for you from nothing to something, from rejected to accepted. Christian today, you are accepted, okay? Yeah, no, sure, I, yeah, I know that. No, listen, you are accepted. It's like that's, that scene from Goodwill Hunting. He knows it, but he doesn't know it, know it. It hasn't penetrated his heart. Sean, uh, the character, had been an abused child, and he has his therapist tell him a simple truth. Let's just, let's just watch that right now. You want to talk about it? No. Hey, Will. I don't know a lot. You see this? This is not your fault. Yeah, I know that. Look at me, son. Not your fault. I know. It's not your fault. I know. No, no, you don't. It's not your fault. Hmm? I know. It's not your fault. All right. It's not your fault. It's not your fault. It's not your fault. Don't with me, all right? Don't 
Sean, not you. It's not your fault. Listen to me, church. Look at me. I'll wait till the lights are on before you look. There we go. <laughs> you are accepted. Yeah, no, no, I, I know, I know, I know. No. You are accepted. You're accepted. The creator and the sustainer of the universe says you are accepted. The surest cure for that feeling of being unacceptable is the discovery that we are accepted by the grace of the one whose acceptance matters most of all. That the, to experience grace is to recover that lost inner child. Shame cheats us out of childhood. Grace gives it back to us. Grace is really a shorthand for, for God, isn't it? And God, to the amazement of any shamed person, is so gracious. How does grace overcome shame? Well, not by convincing us that we have some, you know, overlooked cachet of excellence uh, that we just didn't know about, but simply by accepting us, the whole of us, our beauty, our ugliness, our virtue, our vices, we are accepted wholesale, accepted with no possibility of being rejected, accepted once and accepted forever, period, end of story. Some of you are ready for that kind of grace this morning. You know how I know? Because you're just bone tired of the struggle. You're, you're tired of the weight of trying to be worthy and acceptable. You're tired of trying to earn approval from everyone important to you. You are ready for grace this morning. Grace is not quid pro quo, okay? Grace is not, well, there's no such thing as a free lunch. Grace is outlandish. Uh, there's a weightlessness to grace. It has this it has this feeling of a fairy tale, like it's too good to be true. But what, what makes grace so amazing is that this, the fairy tale is true. It's real. Grace is so good, it, it, it infuriates the legalist, the moralist, you know, the ancient Pharisee. Uh, to them, there were two kinds of people, people who were acceptable enough to be accepted and people who were not. And if you're in the second group, sucks to be you. Pharisees worry that, that grace will turn you into some kind of spiritual freeloader. But real grace, grace that is authentically experienced, is not dangerous at all. And what's really dangerous is that wearisome, joy-killing heaviness of living without grace. 
Grace understands that, we're, that we are walking contradictions, that we are works in progress, that sometimes in our spiritual life, it's like we take one step forward and two steps back, that we have a shadow self that we battle. You know, Johnny Cash had this profound song called The Beast in Me. The beast in me is caged by frail and fragile bars. God help the beast in me. And I I came across this poem from an author uh, unknown. It says, within my earthly temple, there's a crowd. There's one of us that's humble, one that's proud. There's one that's broken hearted for his sins and one that's unrepentant who sits and grins. There's one that loves his neighbor as himself and one that cares for naught but fame and self. From such perplexing care, I would be free if I could only determine which is me. And grace gives us the courage to look at this messy mixture of of shadow and light inside ourselves and be convicted of some of what we see, but then accept the gift that God accepts us with all of our shadows and our contradictions. We are damaged masterpieces. There's both ogres and angels in our basement, if you will. Grace has this one loving phrase, though. You are accepted, accepted, accepted. Accepted. Nothing that we think could make us unacceptable will keep God from accepting us. Uh, grace is, is seen not in just hints or traces, but full face in the life of Jesus. As I read the Gospels, I'm so taken by the simple and spontaneous way that he accepted people who were so burdened by their sense of being unacceptable. When, when, when he met them, he would simply say, you know, without looking up their credentials or investigating their past, he'd say, your sins are forgiven. You are accepted. Go in peace. Folks, I'm telling you, you will, you will meet the grace of God in the face of Jesus. I've just asked the team, if they would just sing this over you. You don't need to participate. Just sit there. But let them sing this prophetic blessing over you. hear from some people uh, the way Denise so vulnerably vulnerably shared uh, via video I've invited uh, my friend Frank to come and uh, he's been so vulnerable about some of the unflattering parts of your story the first time we heard Frank share was at his baptism and part of that was was you finding God in prison and uh, you've, you've agreed to share a bit today about your journey with addictions and um, how, how has that whole part of your life 
been, um, been healing or helping. You know, even you coming up here and being honest about that part of your life, you know, not having secrets. Uh, so, uh, first thing is uh, I need to accept my problem. So if it's addiction, and it was addiction, uh, along with other things, but uh, addiction, I had to accept that I was a drug addict for many years. Uh, how it started was through shame, uh, pain, guilt, and it got me uh, making a lot of bad choices. So, um, but I had to admit what I was doing, what I had, and I had to uh, accept it. So I, I needed acceptance, 100%. I had to accept it, so I had to confess it mm. to people, in front of people. Uh, I needed to, uh, I needed to say out loud that I am powerless. Mm. It, uh, it's biblical. Yes, uh, yes. The word powerless is biblical, so we're powerless over Satan. So. When I said that, uh, it uh, changed a lot of things uh, right immediately. So, not that, not that it was a big miracle, and uh, it's just it was a, a starting of a process. Yes. So, what did it do though uh, to to hide it for for a while? Is that that wasn't helpful? I take it. Uh, no, that protected Satan in me. Right. So right. I was doing him a favor by not telling people. Right. So I was protecting him and all his demons, and they were working me like a puppet. I was just a puppet, their puppet. They, you know, they put little pins in me, and you know, I feel this or that, whatever they wanted. And uh, I had enough of that. Mm -hmm. so, but uh, it. Uh, it's a process. Yes, definitely yes. a process because uh, they're always kind of there, and they don't want to let go of what they uh, worked on. Mm. They want to waste their time, mm. you know. So, and it's still a process. I'm still in transformation, but I have a lot of uh, years behind me, yeah. clean, and uh, I have uh, good people around me. I have a good church. I have Jesus Christ in my life and uh, the Holy Spirit, so. How long have you been clean, Frank? Uh, 13 and a half years. Yeah, all right, that's great. Um, Alcoholics Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous, what some you know, insiders would, might call the program, actually has a lot to say about what we've been talking about, that um, acceptance is so important to this battle with shame. Have I got that right? Yes. Yeah, and, and what, how did you come to not only accepting that you have a problem, but accepting that you are accepted? Uh, okay, first, first time I, uh, I guess the news broke out was in court that, uh, uh, that I was a drug addict and I made bad decisions, but that didn't really help me much, but okay, it came out and I was feeling good about it. Uh, you know, my family uh, knew, they didn't know before, not even my doctor, but it, what really matters is, is when I come out and I have a f kind of a, a spiritual feeling of, uh, that I'm 
enough is enough. Mm. I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. Mm. And uh, I, I don't know uh, if, if I'm trying to say this right, but it was not just my power. Because mm. I'm powerless. Mm. My power would be go get, get another, another hit. Mm. So I have, that's why we have to admit that we are powerless. As soon as you do that, you're protected and you don't, you don't have to go get that. Mm. A lot of people don't know that the, the foundations of the 12 steps are, are totally from Christian people, Christian yes. philosophy. Yes. Yeah. What, what, is, what are some of the, the, um, the similarities you have found between the steps and, and what the Bible teaches you? Well, step one right away is Romans seven seventeen. Nothing good lives within me. And when I try to do good, I can't. Mm. That's step one right away. Yeah. And, and like so on, it's like there's, uh, you know, just there's so much that came out of the Bible in the steps. Yeah. And, uh, and I truly believe that they were brought forth by God. Yeah. Even the book that I read, Narcotics Anonymous, while I was reading it, he was showing me uh, my past, uh, you know, when I got arrested, when I was supposed to get arrested in the States. Uh, and he was there, he said, no, I didn't let you get arrested there, but over here, I want to give you a break for life. Yeah. I had a lot of guns pointed at me and uh, I wasn't supposed to make it that night, mm. uh, uh, but he stopped the guy from pulling the trigger. Mm. Uh, I have and, and he turned out to be the only honest cop. Mm. And, and why I say that, he, people are looking at him to, you know, say, okay, go ahead. So it was planned, but it's okay, I forgave them all. Frank's alluding to some stuff here that is, like you wouldn't believe it if if, uh, if you hadn't had longer conversations with him, but we're talking about some dark stuff, some uh, underworld kind of stuff where your life uh, was saved. I have this feeling that maybe your life even um, might have been saved because of all the people that you have decided to share your love with, to share your wisdom with. This is part of the healing, isn't it? The way that you have given of yourself in the program and beyond? Yeah, so uh, now I'm gonna tell you uh, all that stuff. Uh, uh, while I was reading that book, I felt loved by God. I, uh, I felt forgiven. Hmm. And I felt cared for, and he was there. He showed me that he was there at every time that either I thought I was a good criminal, what I wasn't, or, or when I was supposed to overdose, but I didn't even pass out. Uh, I, I took enough drugs to kill a horse, mm. and no, you're not going down today. I have a purpose for you. Mm. And he told me that, and he showed me that, and uh, I, uh, I need to keep living with that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you forgave me, so I need to forgive. I forgave everyone. Um, and I continue to forgive because I'm, as the years go on and I keep doing work, I, other things unraveled that I forgot about. And uh, I had to, you know, I have to forgive. Forgive, love, 
care. Uh, I have to uh, be a good, good Christian, which I want to be. So, mm. and um, and you seem to bring that love into these interactions at, at meetings and as people ask you to be a sponsor. And um, what, what is your kind of philosophy around just sharing your life and wisdom with them? Well. Because I've been forgiven and I've heard God saying, I love you, and I can share that love. So we have a philosophy in, in those meetings that I can't keep that love unless I give it away. Whoa, that'll, that'll preach. And, and when I give it away, I, I can feel he's filling me up with more. Hmm. And I want to give it away. It feels right. It feels good. I, I've heard so many stories in those rooms, and I just want to show love. Hmm. He asked me to show love. I'm showing love to those people. They have no reason to continue the shame. Hmm. Satan stops here right now, hmm. today. Not today. I tell them, not today. You can't have this person. Hmm. I give them a hug, and I show them love. Hmm. I, it feels like when you say it, like, uh, I don't know. I take you serious. Like... <laughs> Not today, yeah. Uh, so this, this is not something, I think, for 99 out of 100 people, it's, it's not something that you are just going to be healed of in a moment, right? It, this is a process. And, and are you okay with that, it's, that it's a journey? Uh, there's a prayer, the serenity prayer, and in the prayer it says one day at a time. Yeah. If we can handle that one day, we're going to set us up for the next day. Yeah. So one day at a time is pretty easy. Yeah. I don't have to use one day at a time. I don't have to feel shame one day at a mm. time. Tomorrow will be easier. Mm. That's so good. Will you show your appreciation for Frank? Thank you, buddy. Bless you, man. Frank has, has generously agreed to just be part of a, a, a a prayer team at the end. Uh, maybe somebody sp- specifically has a story that that resonates with Frank's story, and you'd just like to talk to him, and he'll he'll be available to do that. I think, and Frank alluded to it. What we're what we're going to talk about now is where it gets really hard, because to be truly healed of shame that we don't deserve, sooner or later, we're going to have to come to terms with our feelings about the person or persons who shamed us. We'll, we'll have to come to terms with our resentment of those people who infected us with shame. And one thing is absolute. We can't undo what's already been done to us. We've been wounded and we carry that woundedness. Uh, the one reality that we can alter is the reality of our own feelings, our own responses. And of course, there's no easy remedy. In fact, I've come to the conclusion in the end, the only remedy we have is what feels like an impossible remedy, forgiving, forgiving. Revenge doesn't heal, it only makes things worse. Forgetting doesn't heal. If we, if we think we have forgotten, we've probably only you know, stuffed it beneath our consciousness to kind of fester there. And frankly, you know, some things should never be forgotten. 
the only option we have left, the God-honoring option, is the creative act of forgiving our shamers of the same, with the same grace that enables us to forgive ourselves. Uh, forgiving is so difficult. That's, I mean, that's too obvious to even say aloud. And here's the other thing. Often, the only person to be healed by forgiveness is the person who does the forgiving. So some of you are asking now, how do I even start to do this? I want to forgive, or, or maybe more accurately, I want to want to forgive, but how do I, how do I tackle it? And again, I just want to acknowledge the work of, uh, of Lewis Smedes in, in his book, uh, Shame and Grace. And, and he talks about some steps. Um, number one, that we would actually hold that shamer accountable. Now, I, I don't know what that looks like in your specific situation. It's possible that accountability in your situation is, is only something you deal with internally. For instance, some of our hurts that we suffer from our parents is not, is not the sort of thing that needs confronting. Parenting rambunctious children is a tough job for imperfect people. Um, but there are other wounds. If we don't hold people accountable for what they did, we won't be able to forgive them. Uh, secondly, we, we surrender, there's that word, Frank, we surrender our rights to get even. Um, we agree to live with the score untied. Can you do that? Thirdly, I think we have to revise our caricature of the person who shamed us. You know, when we taste resentment, we, we tend to, to roll it around our minds the way we might roll around like a, a lozenge in our, in our tongue. And as we do, our minds create this caricature of the shamer. Uh, we turn them into a monster. But as we move with the forgiving flow of the spirit, we gradually change this monster back into the weak and faulty human that they are. Not all that different from ourselves, by the way. And we may start to understand that maybe even our parents were almost powerless against their own shame. And our bitterness will begin to, to wash out of our mind in, in the waters of compassion. Fourth, we need to revise our feelings, okay? Maybe a seed of compassion can break through. Sorrow starts to blend with anger. Sympathy softens our resentment. And we even feel emerging in our consciousness even a, a hesitant concern for that other person. I, I, I have been personally so hurt by someone in my life and have been led to the point of recognizing their brokenness and mental health. And there's even a trace of sympathy. Lastly, the hardest step, could we accept that person who made us feel so unacceptable? We offer our shame or the grace that God has offered us there may be 
good reason that we can never really restore that relationship that we had before, you know. But if we can't be reconciled, it's not gonna prevent our uh, healing of resentment. Um, And it won't be our resentment that prevents reconciliation. Now, a couple best practices, and I'm sure there's more, but don't be hasty about this. It, it, It took you a lifetime to turn your childhood trauma into an adulthood of shame. So it may take a while to forgive the person who infected you. Don't necessarily expect to heal your shame with, you know, one flash of forgiveness. Forgiving kind of works incrementally sometimes, like like compound interest, but it's worth the investment. Um, By the same token, don't wait too long either. If we wait too long, our resentment seeps into our pores and uh, it starts to assume our identity. You start, you start to feel like, I've had my anger so long, I, I, I'm not even sure I'd know myself without it. I bet you know people who are like this. Be concrete. In other words, forgive people for what they do, not for who they are. It's hard enough forgiving somebody for what they do, for the bad thing they have done. It's almost impossible to forgive someone for being a bad person. And I'm not even sure that's our role uh, to judge. In fact, like in my understanding of how the forgiveness of God works, God forgives us for what we do and accepts us for who we are. I'd say this. You can't wait for the shamer to come to you and repent. Uh, It would be so much easier, wouldn't it? Especially if they were on their hands and knees with ash and sackcloth. Oh, Um, Honestly, you're going to keep waiting. And, uh, And what you do when you wait for them is you put your healing in their hands. And they may never get around to saying it. So in the worst of ironies, we give the person who shamed us the power to prevent us from healing the very shame that they caused. I'd say too, this may sound weird, but begin by pretending, or maybe a better way of putting it, act as though. Sounds like an old therapy trick. Maybe it is. And I'd argue that there's spiritual connotations. Sometimes I'll say, folks, if you don't feel like worshiping, how about you worship until you feel like it, right? You step out in faith until faith arises in you. And in the same way, I'd encourage you to prime the pump by acting as though you are forgiving, there's a, there's a thin line sometimes between acting as if and actually beginning to do it. We can begin by thinking, forgiving thoughts towards that person and, and by saying forgiving words that we may not actually mean. And one day, you know what happens? We actually cross that line between acting and actually meaning it before we even know it. Sometimes, folks, you're going to have to settle for silent forgiving, if you must. 
You know, the ideal scenario calls for the forgiver to be able to say to the shamer directly, I forgive you. Um, But in some cases, that's actually not a good idea. Sometimes wisdom will show you that if, if we don't say it in the right way or at the right time or for the right reason, we may actually do more harm. Um, You know, in some rare cases, the person you forgive may not actually be ready to hear you. In fact, he may never forgive you for forgiving him. Isn't that funny? Sometimes your shamer isn't even alive anymore. And so can we just be satisfied to do the work of forgiving, trusting that it is changing us, healing us? Man, forgiving is a journey, uh, sometimes a long one, and we may need some time before we get to that full point of feeling free, you know? But you know what? By God's grace, you are actually being healed en route. Uh, And when we genuinely forgive, we set a prisoner free and then discover, guess what? Prisoner was us and we've been set free. Often the last person to be forgiven is is ourselves though. The last person to be loved and accepted is ourselves. And the difference between guilt and shame applies to, to the healing of it as well. We forgive ourselves for things that we did, but we accept ourselves as, as the people we are, created in the image and the likeness of God, the imago Dei. Uh, when we forgive ourselves, we heal our guilt. When we accept ourselves, we heal our shame. Uh, when we forgive ourselves, we do essentially the same thing that, that I talked about when we forgive someone else. We, we hold ourselves accountable for what we did. We surrender the need to punish ourselves. We revise our understanding of ourselves. We, we recognize we're weak and faulty so, so that we can have compassion on ourselves. We um, revise our feelings about ourselves, you know, that we are responsible people who fail but we're also worthy people, worthy of compassion and respect, accepted by grace. And we make a move towards reconciliation with ourselves. In other words, towards accepting ourselves. I wanna invite somebody to the stage who is on that journey of accepting and forgiving himself. My friend Jeremy Bonham is gonna come. And uh, he's carried around a lot of heaviness for most of his life. And he's starting to experience um, some of that freedom that I'm talking about. And uh, I want to share with you what God is doing in his life. Jeremy shared a little bit about this before. Super vulnerable for Jeremy, but he thought it would be best if if he catch everybody up to speed. So Jeremy, I'll turn it over to you. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, Good morning, everyone. Um, so there's a lot of new faces in the crowd nowadays from the last time I was up here. So I'm just going to give you a bit of history. Um, so I lived 25 plus years with an addiction to pornography. And along with that addiction came a, uh, a strong prison of shame, of course. Um, the two go hand in hand very, very closely. Um, 
And it, uh, the shame is kind of what kept me locked in that addictive behavior. Um, sorry, I keep looking at my notes, but uh, I'm nervous up here, so be patient. Um, it's also hard for me to articulate which came first. Um, you were talking about shamers. I don't know if there was an actual shamer in my life. Um, I don't know if my addictive behaviors came about as a result of being shamed or if the shame is there because of my addictive behaviors. Uh, I'm still working through that. Um, I think there may be some stuff there, but I, uh, I'm not going to get into it today. Um, the biggest thing that I want you guys to, to know about is what it's like to live under shame for that long. Um, it changes who you are. Uh, for me personally, uh, I worked very hard to hide myself in a crowd, in school, in church. Uh, it was even reflected in my wardrobe as I realized just the other day. Uh, I kept very muted colors, mud colors as my wife likes to say, uh, was my wardrobe. Uh, very subtle, very <laughs> hidden, nothing to draw attention to myself. That was always kind of my way. Uh, because I didn't want anybody to get too close uh, and discover my secret shame. Um, it affected my relationships with people. Uh, I kept people at a, a arm's length. Uh, again, didn't want anybody in, didn't want anybody to figure it out. Uh, I grew up in a church, so this was not something a good Christian boy does. Uh, so I couldn't let anybody know that I did it. So I kept people at a distance, and it has really affected my relationships over the years. Um, what else? Sorry. Oh, also, it, I, I didn't take responsibility. I acted like I was the victim in this whole scenario. So it was never my fault that I had this addictive behavior. Um, it even got to the point where I blamed God for giving me this thorn in the flesh, so to speak. Um, so therefore, I just kind of decided I had to live with it and justified, justified it through taking that verse out of context mm. for several years um, and just saying, well, God's grace is sufficient, so I'll be okay, but uh, never ex actually accepting my own role in, in that. Mm. Um, but fast forward several years, uh, about three years ago, I did experience freedom from my addiction. Um, and along with that freedom came freedom from the shame. So I know Jonathan just kind of listed a few things there about how, how, I guess, Lewis Mead talked about getting free from it. But I'll give you my version of events, which is similar, but I'll use my words. Um, so the first thing that, for me, was accepting responsibility. Um, I remember driving in the car with Christina, and that was kind of the day where it was a tipping point, and I just accepted my responsibility for my actions, and uh, just I don't know, it was just, suddenly it was clear to me that this was all my fault, and I had to accept that it was my fault, and because it's my fault, I can change. So 
That was a huge tipping point in finding my freedom. Uh, the second thing that happened was uh, as the behavior started to stop, because it is a process, it takes time, uh, it didn't happen overnight. Um, I know it does for some people, not in my case. And I always thought it would, and I think that's what kind of held me back from stuff and why I blamed God. Uh, was looking for a miracle when really the miracle happened on the cross 2,000 years ago. Um, so two, uh, I learned that I was not the behavior and started to accept myself for who I was and not for what I did. Um, and that meant learning who I was as a child of God, learning who I was as Jeremy and not this guy who has tried to hide himself for so many years. Um, and who I was apart from this behavior that was in my life. Uh, so I, I guess I kind of accepted who I truly was and for, forgave myself, but with uh, different words. Um, and lastly, the biggest thing that, I, that worked for me was bringing, bringing the shame and the sin into light. Um, sin and shame cannot survive in the dark or in the light. So for me, that meant talking about it. That's why I'm up here today. Um, the more that I talk about it, the more that I tell people about it, the less power that shame has on me, the less power that sin has on me, the less power the enemy has on me. And it's not easy to be up here and talk to you all about it. Um, it's something, I, like I said, I've kept hidden for 25 plus years. Um, but in, in the light, this cannot survive. And it's the same for all of you. Uh, if there's something there, I encourage you, talk to somebody, share it with somebody, because once it's in the light, it can't survive. Um, that being said, if there's anybody who is interested in talking to me specifically about uh, an addiction to pornography or shame or how to get free, please feel free to reach out. I'm open, I'm available. Um, my email address and phone number are both in the church directory, so you can be, and don't worry, I'll keep it discreet. I won't be like shouting it from the rooftops or anything. Um, but please know that I'm available and I don't want others to live 25 plus years mm -hmm. with this burden on your shoulders, wearing mud-colored clothes for the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. There are, there's freedom from shame. There's freedom from the sin. Um, I think that's all. That's amazing. <laughs> Thank you. So powerful. So powerful. I think we have time for. Um, I think there's somebody with an with an open mic. Uh, yeah, Johan. And by the way, if if uh, I think we only really have church family watching on the live stream, but it's really easy to cut out um, for replay any segment of the service that you feel uncomfortable with. So don't let the live stream be uh, inhibitor for you coming to the open mic because we can cut it out as soon as the service is done. Johan. 
Um, it's easy to make our faith um, a set of do's and don'ts. We say a good question is a, a good Christian is A, B, and C, and instead of it being a relationship with Jesus. And I, I think I just want to reiterate what Jonathan said today that um, we need to teach our children and our spiritual children that they are accepted for who they are and as they are. Because otherwise, it, it just becomes a set of rules and it leads to shame. It is easy um, to put shame on other people. Um, we can imply somebody's not healed because they lack faith or they have sin in their lives. We can boast about something. We can say, our children have done well because of all the prayer I did. Or we can boast about our marriage and put shame on people who are struggling or who have been divorced. And um, I, just, I just know that I have done this to people. And so, um, especially in, as a role of an elder, if I've said something that have put you into shame, I want to say sorry and ask for your forgiveness. Juan, can we just uh, appreciate that sentiment? Uh, so, so powerful, brother. So powerful. Is there anybody else? One more, maybe? It's okay. We won't belabor it. Yeah. So, so powerful to bring this stuff into the light. You know, shame is so heavy. And grace is light. Shame and grace are like these two counter forces in the human spirit. Shame depresses. Grace lifts. Uh, So if our spiritual experience doesn't lighten our life, then we're not experiencing grace. The the feeling called joy, I think, might be the ultimate alternative to this feeling of shame. Joy, not shame, is our destiny. Sometimes joy can seize you when bad things suddenly turn good. I'm, I'm picturing earlier time in my parenting, and if one of my little girls is lost for a couple hours, and I get a phone call from someone a few blocks away telling me she's there. Oh, the joy. Or when the doctor says the tumor found in my wife is benign. Oh, the joy. But sometimes, sometimes joy comes when the tumor is not benign. It comes when we lose a, a loved one and we're reminded of the eternal hope that we have. Some of you know what I'm talking about this morning. We can't manufacture joy. We certainly don't just become joyful because some pastor tells us we should. Joy is gratitude, and we feel gratitude for gifts that we don't earn, like the gift of grace. I desire for people to leave here today light as a feather, at least, or at least on the start of a journey towards freedom from shame, feeling, feeling the joy of optimism, that the one who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it. I'm gonna invite the team up. We have these gifted prayer people, elders, pastors, volunteers who 
um, want to pray with you, who love to pray. And they're going to be around the corners and um, sides of, of this whole building. Uh, perhaps you're more comfortable praying with Chris because you're a, a parent of children or more comfortable praying with a male. We, we have all different types of prayers who are going to come. We have anointing oil and, uh, and the, the band is, is going to lead us in some songs. And if you just want to sit and sing along, but I, I encourage you um, that you know maybe the very first step, the most important step, is, is the step getting out of your seat. I dare even say it may be the most impactful thing that you, that you do. In vulnerability, bringing light or bringing darkness into light. And God will totally, totally honor that kind of risk, that kind of trust. Um, just so you know, the cameras are going to be just on the stage. Nobody is going to see as you come to different people uh, for prayer. Uh, looks like we could use some people on this side as well. I'll come on this side. And um, it's not going to turn into a counseling session. People aren't going to make you uncomfortable. Uh, they just want to act as a conduit for God's healing power. It begins today. Shame off you in Jesus' name. Shame off you in Jesus' name. Lord, may we experience a church, a family, a life, a world where unhealthy shame is obsolete, where healthy shame has lost its sting, where we know we are of great worth, where our bad choices of the past don't determine our worth today, where we know our guilt is forgiven, where we might even celebrate our imperfections, where we can feel silly without feeling shame, where grace gives us reason to be proud of ourselves in Christ, where the lightness of grace lifts the heaviness of shame, and where joy is the whole point. May it be so, Lord. Shame off. Shame off in Jesus' name. Come and uh, let us pray for you.